Please be seated. Our sermon text for today will be the epistle lesson from Colossians chapter 3. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. As followers of Christ, we should seek the things that are above because we have put on the new self and are one in Christ Jesus. As I was preparing for this sermon, I pondered the question, what is it that people seek in life? And there's no shortage of things that people seek. And so before long, I had quite the list. But then in true 21st century American fashion, I asked Google. And almost before that enter key had rebounded, I had 3.6 million results. And, and as I perused through all of these results, I found some common threads. One of them, you might guess, happiness, always a top contender. People are seeking happiness. And this should come to, as no surprise to us. It's contained in the second sentence of the Declaration of Independence, where we read, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Another frequent contender that I found on all of these lists is money. No surprise there. And Paul actually writes about this in 1 Timothy, saying it's not that money that's actually the problem. He writes, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. People seek money thinking that if they make just enough of it, then they'll be happy. And I can check both of those boxes on my list. Other times, they use it to fulfill themselves, to fulfill either expectations they have of themselves that have been formed and shaped by the Joneses next door, or maybe today, more commonly, by the Joneses on social media. And about all of this, blogger Kathy Caprino wrote in 2017, the question is, how much money do you really need to bring about the life experiences that will truly fulfill you? So oftentimes, we seek money as a means of fulfillment, whether it is to fulfill societal pressures on us or to maybe prove to the world that we've really made it, that we've got the moxie. And isn't it fascinating that in this quest, enough is never actually enough. And so rather than a firm line, the line is in shifting sand that must be redrawn each time that wave of cultural pressure watches over us. Even though there is a lot of things on these lists, the next one is where I want to pause with you all for this morning. Freedom. People want to be free, and it sounds great, doesn't it? I mean, it should sound great. The problem isn't with the freedom, it's 
with how we actually define it. In the world around us, being free means to be completely unfettered, unchained by anyone or anything. Think about it. From the time a toddler can crawl, they want to see just how far they can get. They want to roam wherever they can. Later on, the child wants to wander and push the boundaries and see at just what point mom or dad is going to react. Then, a couple more years down the road, the teenager who desires to be independent and on their own just can't seem to understand how anyone could possibly think that a curfew is reasonable. And even in our adult lives, we do this same thing. We don't want anyone to tell us what to do or how to do it. I mean, for some... This idea of banning abortions is unthinkable. My body, my choice, they say. They desire this total body freedom that comes at such a great expense. And then, along those same lines, when the pandemic was rising and the vaccine was introduced, and there were those who decried the vaccine mandates, you could almost see, hear that same cry from within those crowds My body, my choice. Freedom. We all want freedom, myself included. And I would argue, brothers and sisters at Christ, that this desire for freedom is at the heart of all of the things that people are seeking. Whether it's money or happiness, balance, fulfillment, stability, or whatever it is that populates the list that Google puts on your screen. But again, the problem isn't the freedom. It's how you define it. And that same blogger, Kathy Caprino, she also wrote this, same article, same list, but regarding freedom. It requires boldness and courage to make yourself your own highest authority on life and work. And that's no easy thing today. So, How does the world define this seeking, this search? Well, in the eyes of the world, you've got to be your own highest authority. In order to find happiness, in order to be fulfilled by your portfolio, in order to be truly free, you must look deep within yourself. You are the only and highest authority in your life. You're accountable to yourself. It's your truth that you must uphold and you aren't beholden to anyone or anything else. Does that sound familiar to anyone? It should. We've been doing it for a very, very long time. All the way since Genesis 3, we've sought to be our own authority. Adam and Eve believing that lie that Satan told them placing their own reason as authority over God's. Fast forward a few generations, the children of Israel, they come into the promised land. God says, the conquest means you've got to push all of these people out. And they say, maybe not. And they don't push everyone out, placing themselves as an authority above what God had directed them to do. 
Generations down the road, the Pharisees rise to power and they take the beautiful law that God had given his people and they bend and shape it to their own means and ends, their own sinful desires. The list goes on and on. St. Augustine coined this term, homo incurvatus in se, man turned in on himself. And this is exactly what we do as sinners. We turn inwards on ourselves, on our own sinful desires, and we turn away from God, and it causes us to build a wall between our hearts and God, resistant to Him in all aspects of our life. And in this curved state, this fetal position, we cannot see Him. We do not seek Him. And we certainly don't set our minds on Him. And in our text for today, Paul is writing to this problem of inward turning. He's aware that in Colossae there are these false teachers and that their teaching would lead the people of God away from their Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so he writes to remind them of their old self and the way that they had once walked. And he reminds them to put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. He continues on with anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. And don't lie. You have put off the old self with its practices. He writes this list to them. And as we hear it, think about that list. Each and every item on that list does what? Each and every item is completely and totally self-serving. And as I read this list, I can just see my own shape, rounded shoulders engaged in navel-gazing, trying to figure out what's going to suit me best. The Colossians were reminded of the reality that they had been in before they were called to faith. And what a dismal reality it was. But even though that's where Jesus found them, that's not where he left them. And so as Paul continues to write, he reminds them of this new self which they have put on. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. If then you have been raised with Christ. Don't you hear it? Language that reminds us of the waters of baptism, of our baptism. Echoed also in Romans 6, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we might too walk in newness of life. The water of baptism, it drowned the old self. It drowned the old Adam and up from the water sprang a new creature. 
A Colossian Christian that was marked as one redeemed by Christ the crucified. A Colossian Christian that no longer lived for him or herself, but that lived for Christ. One that seeks the things that are above. One that sets their mind on things that are above. And having their mind set on those things that are above, on Christ Jesus, they find in him that they are one. So let's let's do a little exercise here this morning. Let's substitute St. Paul's in the place of Colossians. Because here, as a congregation, we are one in Christ also. So what does it mean to be a St. Paul's Lutheran Church Christian? A St. Paul's Lutheran Church Christian is marked as one redeemed by Christ the crucified. A St. Paul's Lutheran Church Christian no longer lives for him or herself, but lives for Christ. We seek the things that are above. We set our minds on the things that are above. And having Set our mind on those things that are above, on Christ Jesus, we find that in him we are one. So what? So what does all of that mean for us? Number one, you are a redeemed child of God. In the words of the familiar hymn, God's own child, I gladly say it. I am baptized into Christ. Though you were dead in your sins and trespasses, the blood of Christ that was shed for you on the cross covered all of your sins. And his resurrection, his resurrection completes our reconciliation, showing his power over the grave. And this power over the grave gives us hope of the physical resurrection of the dead on that last day. Two, since you died to yourself and have been raised to Christ, you no longer live for yourself. We live fully reconciled to God, but we know that we're still imperfect, living as sinner saints in this place daily wrestling with that old self. But the power of the Holy Spirit is in us. The Holy Spirit lives in us and empowers us to turn towards God and away from ourselves. That's why it's so important, brothers and sisters in Christ, to spend that daily time in God's Word to be daily reminded of his promises to us, to be encouraged by the love of God shown to us in Christ Jesus. This is why prayer is so critical. We lift up our thanksgivings and our hurts, our joys and our struggles. We lift them up to God our Father. We leave our sins at the foot of the cross. We're reminded of his love for us. We're reminded of the community that we live in, that we're responsible to God and to one another. A responsibility that bids us answer when he calls. A responsibility that we celebrate today. 
that Don Walker heard that call from God and turned to him in prayer to consider what his will was for her life. And we rejoice that he showed her his will was for her to continue to serve him in this place. Dying to self and living to Christ is not always an easy thing, but it is always for our good. Always. In Christ, we are one. Three. How do you define freedom? In the light of these words from St. Paul, we see that we are freed from something for something. We are freed from something for something. We're freed from the powers of sin and death and the devil over us. We're freed from guilt over our past. We're freed from the need to keep up with the Joneses. Freed from fear. And freed from all of this, we have been freed to live for Christ. To see in him true freedom, the freedom to life eternal. Freedom to love and serve our neighbor. Brothers and sisters in Christ, daily seek him in his word and let the power of the Holy Spirit wash over you and at work in and through you bear witness to this sin-sick and broken world that daily turns more and more inward on itself and away from God. A St. Paul's Lutheran Church Christian, we seek the things that are above because we've put on the new self and we are one in him. Amen. And now, may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.